Hey guys, what's up? It is week 90. Um, I wanted to address a couple things before we hop into the show. I got a copyright strike. Um, not a strike, but I remember back in the day when you get copyright strikes on YouTube. But my uh, top 25, uh, I think it was week 86, got taken down um, because I used a trailer. And usually most of the companies just monetize it and they collect revenue from it. Not that I get much. Or um, they will, you know, uh, put ads on there, stuff like that, or just view how many views it gets. I wasn't collecting uh, revenue or anything like that from the video, but uh, Screen uh, Media decided to take it down. I did file dispute, even though I technically don't really, I, I don't know if trailers are actually fair use. I really don't think they are. But hopefully, I hope that they see the response and look at it and say, well, this person's not collecting money. They're just almost endorsing the movie because they enjoyed it and did a review. Rega but regardless, if it does... Uh, I get in trouble for it or they don't uh, let it pass, I'll have to re-upload the video without that trailer. So be warned, if 86 disappears suddenly, it'll come back. But just, it will be down the line or something like that. And probably the quality won't be as high. But I just wanted to apologize for that whole, uh, uh, you know, thing right there. Also, I was wondering if you guys would ever want me to do like a Facebook Live occasionally, maybe like once a week, just bullcrapping in the room. And you guys can say, well, go over there and show us the room, get in details, kind of go run down and be like, what's on that shelf? I don't know, just, and I can pull movies off and talk about what I've seen and not. But just let me know. Could be fun. Uh, let me hop into this because I got a bunch of reviews. And the first one I'm covering is from Arrow Films. It is uh, Del Toro's movie from, I believe, 2012. Or actually, no, it was probably a little sooner than that, 12, 2014 or something like that 15 i can't remember but crimson peak um i remember seeing this one in theaters i believe or i didn't check it out in theaters but this this set right here i'm all over the place right now but uh this set right here um is amazing from arrow to be brutally honest it has tons of stuff going forward i'll show you you guys will see it but uh when i saw crimson peak i really liked it i always enjoyed the movie i thought it was pretty great uh a gothic romance romance with ghost story with a ghost a ghost in it and that explains exactly in the beginning uh there's lots of shout outs and self-awareness here um del toro is probably one of the best guys at making his set look beautiful and wonderful uh he creates these worlds and listening to him talk about the movie on the special features and uh was also amazing but if you guys haven't seen crimson peak i'd really recommend checking it out uh del toro stuff is usually um he's one of those guys that's just an amazing and completely different um as far as the new features are on here they ported over all the old stuff but the new ones have uh cat ellinger on here and she does a, a video essay about uh gothic um you know movies and uh raw like authors and everything and how it pertains to this and how um you know del toro's movies look like that and how they have this uh visit this um visual you know style and how they would kind of compare this and shape of water and devil's backbone and pad's labyrinth and, and, and it's really great it's, it's it's an amazing piece they go in in depth about uh, a lot of the uh, authors of the time not just mary shelley you know it, it's like a history lesson and a it's like a college course again. Kim Newman's also on here, which was great seeing. And what I really liked what they did was they took all the old interviews and old stuff like that on the old disc and they made, with some new stuff I believe too, they edited it all in and made uh, this whole like 50 minute documentary of, uh, with interviews with everybody and in including cast and crew and how they built the sets. Love that. But if you guys aren't familiar with Crimson Peak, it follows the story of a father and oh, this woman, she's a writer, 
and her father is murdered by somebody she's kind of falling in love with. And you don't really know exactly um, all the details, but there's definitely this uh, gothic style thing going on with murder mystery. And uh, it has all the little like trite uh, things you would expect, but it's done all the tropes, I would say. It's not trite, because trite's kind of an insult, but it has all the tropes that you would expect in these kind of movies. But it's, it's played very well. And it's a beautiful um, looking movie. It's probably one of the best looking movies I've seen in a long time. And the set, uh, the movie takes place in this old this old building this old mansion that's falling apart and decrepit because the people who own it can no longer take care of it and it, it's uh it's put on this place of land that has this this red soil it's filled with like iron and they call it crimson peak hence the title and it's a cold british place so they have all the white snow and the red bleeds into the snow and it's just a, a reoccurring like visual motif that's amazing in the movie um, Tom Hiddleston's in it. He's great as always. Uh, Jim Beaver plays the father. He's also tremendous. And it, it's one of these like styles in the gothic romance movies or gothic like thrillers and murder mysteries and ghost stories. There's always this element of really great class in it. And then there's some really dark seedy stuff going on at the same time. And there is something involving, I don't want to spoil it, like a sexual relationship that's really gross and, and really dark. Uh, the ghosts in the film look great. Um, they were done practically and then had CGI enhance and enhancements to them. And you can kind of tell there, sometimes they look a little strange, but uh, they all have uh, so much put into them. And hearing Del Toro talk about it, he's like, I wanted each ghost to resemble a piece of, uh, you know, being a woman. Like this one is the motherhood and stuff. And he puts so much stuff into it. He's a highly intelligent director. And it shows. There's there's so much love for the gothic genre in here. And it, it does, plays into a lot of the tropes, but it does new things. And it never insults its source material. It never sticks its nose up to it. It's not a parody. In other words, but I gotta say that that I love the comparisons between how that what they make here in the United States and England in the movie. They say what they did was they made the lighting in England really dark and you know gloomy, and of course you have all those reds and whites and just cold temperatures. And then in America, they made it more lively, more industrial, more you know alive and and then Britain's like this dying thing and there's just so many metaphors and and stuff in this movie with the moths and the butterflies and the characters and it gets particularly gro- uh, gory and that that's what Del Toro I always thought was great about in his movies he will have these extreme moments of violence in in a beauty and and you could tell like they say that Del Toro's never been one to bask in the violence in a way he's like Argento it's like he makes it like an art scene in a way even though Argento bask in the violence it's different in this you feel it's like a beautiful horribly gross scene of murder but you also feel a little bit more sympathy in these murder scenes than you would in an Argento movie but it is visually as appealing if that makes any sense to anybody but it's a great looking movie loaded with tons of features including deleted scenes and commentaries and Del Toro talking about the movie is just a treat to be honest. He's obviously one of these the better directors making movies nowadays and he has his own unique style and that fantasy kind of horror uh, mixture. It, it's a perfect movie to be honest. I can't really, I don't have any complaints about it and I love uh, the relationship between Tom Hiddleston and his sister and um, there, like I said, the moments that get uh, gory at the end and, and the psychology in it about some of the characters and their past and how it's not exactly told in every little detail, but you understand. It's just a, a great movie that plays into the tropes but reverses a lot of them in a, in a wonderful way. It's, it's well recommended and it looks, it's looks, it's a great release, a great, great release. Looks amazing.
that you need to have the characters that inhabit this mansion need to have also a painterly beauty to them. And the great thing now is because Guillermo provided me with a backstory. Uh, when I make choices on set, he sees why I'm making a choice because he knows Lucille's history. Y es algo muy parecido a un cuento de hadas en cierta forma. Es una historia que tú has visto en Jenner, Cumbres Borrascosas. It's very, very foreboding. It's not somewhere you'd like to be trapped. I don't know whether it's just the feeling because the set is kind of degenerated even more, but it felt quite dark in there. The first time we see Edith and her little outfit, it's this modern girl suit that we call that the Buffalo Bookwear. As I said to the wardrobe designer, we're gonna build the costumes and we're gonna couture the architecture. This is the biggest and most extraordinary set I've ever seen in my entire life. We will make the movements of these uh, corpses very, very much stylized like a dancer. It's gothic romance, and those are terms that have been controversial and striking ever since the late 18th century. Del Toro understands this and is able to move effortlessly between the two genres. Okay, guys, the next one is from Arrow Video as well, and it is The Fifth Chord. Believe it or not, I never watched my old DVD of this um, from, um, what was it? Uh, I believe it was Blue Underground. But So when I put this in, I knew it was a very popular, uh, popular giallo that starred Franco Nero. That's pretty much all I knew about it. Um, so the first thing I noticed right away about this movie was the framing. The cinematography was some of the best I've seen in a very long time. It follows um, a journalist uh, who's a drunk, played by Franco Nero, pretty pretty well, actually. And he has this uh, relationship with this uh, girl. He, it's a very, you know, chauvinistic uh, 70s Italian uh, relationship. And murders start to happen, and he starts to get interested in the murders, and it's all incestuous in the terms of everybody's kind of involved with it in this world, and he knows everybody in this world being killed, and he's kind of a, a suspect, or he is a person of note to the police chief. And he's got to find out who the killer is, and he's going to dig deeper, and you know, his ex-wife or ex-girlfriend is kind of in danger to, to a certain extent, and people start to get picked off, and they're leaving one finger off a glove every time. 
I really enjoyed this one, actually. I thought it was, like I said, one of the best shot movies in here. And uh, Nero's character is a pretty interesting one. And it has this moment of suspense at the end, the chase scene, which is an amazing fight scene, which I thought was uh, really well done and looked highly dangerous, uh, involving a building and people jumping from scaffold to scaffold. Not scaffold to scaffold, that's like a painter's thing, but jumping on this uh, this uh, exit escape on the side of the building and uh, broken down building and punching each other. Pretty dangerous stuff, pretty uh, effective stuff. But as they point out in the commentary and a lot of the special features, uh, Franco Nero's character is never like seen plainly. He's either seen through these blinds or he's seen in certain ways. And the whole movie is shot in a strange way. There's like voyeur stuff going on here, which is really good. And it goes into a fisheye lens and sets up in the very beginning of who all these characters are and the relationships just by showing us in a brief, you know, two, three minute opening, which works very well. Um, the kills aren't really explicit or anything like that. You're not going to get any Argento-style kills with um, chandeliers falling on people or broken glass falling into people and hearts getting open. Nothing like that. Uh, the kills, are, they work. They're not like gratuitous or anything like that. I mean, one is a guy having a heart attack, so it is what it is. But finding out who the killer is and the mystery and seeing how well it's shot and seeing Franco Nero really the high points in this movie I believe Ennio Morricone does the score, and that means you know it's great. These scores, this one stands out a little bit. It's not like his best score, but I enjoyed what I heard. As far as the features are concerned, there's some good stuff on here uh, as well. My favorite two, they had an interview with Franco Nero in English, which I was like, yes, this is great. Um, I would really seen him talk too much about a lot of his movies, but he was pretty open, and he talked quite a bit about it and uh, mentioned that uh, in Italy, these movies just kind of got crapped on, but it's really great to see an American audience reassess them and show how you know they're actually well-made um, movies they're not just B movies like they were advertised in Italy and uh, the best the part of this like you know the the feature that people won't say is as good but I mean, on the on the release because they have a lot of video essays which are also excellent but the one that I, I was always the happiest with was um, on here is the one with the editor because at first I was like, you know, it's an Italian, you know, let's watch it. I, sometimes after watching all these features, you get a little tired after reading all the subtitles and you're like, then I got to watch this feature. And um, so I'm watching it and I'm this guy, uh, this older guy, he starts to talk about his career and talk about this movie and talk about, you know, uh, meeting Ennio. And it's really interesting. And like I said before, this is probably the last time and maybe even the first time this guy's been interviewed about some of his movies and he's worked on tons and tons of movies. These guys were like workhorses in the 70s. These Italian guys did so many movies and back to back to back. It's It's got to be hard to remember half the movies they did. But regardless... Uh, Great interview. Uh, it does some nice insight on here. Like I said, there's some video essays as well. But uh, I liked what I saw, and I did see Jim Bean in the corner here. But this one is a little special. I think it's probably one of the best shot movies I've seen in a very long time. Uh, lots of great wide shots in here and reoccurring. A couple shots reoccur. And I couldn't guess who the killer was, but when it is uh, um, shown who the killer is, I was like, yeah, it seems about right. Something kind of dirty, something sexual, something that would be considered horribly taboo back then. But nowadays, you're just like, it wouldn't even matter that much. But uh, that's how it kind of goes in these movies. There's always some weird kind of creepy underlining sexual stuff. And uh, Fifth Chord, it, it's really well made. It's easy to follow too. Like you understand who the characters are and when they're getting picked off. And and you're not like confused. Sometimes these jellos, if you you miss something for a second, you're like, what? who's that guy? What's going on? Why do all these people look the same? I don't know. I'm dumb. But uh, this one, it's pretty easy to follow. And at the end, you're like, oh, duh. I couldn't believe I didn't get that. But uh, good, good well-made movie. Looks great. Sounds great. Uh, you can watch an English. English or Italian.
Okay, guys, the next one is from Honor Films. I covered this a little bit ago, but uh, it finally got a release, so I figured let's check it out again. It is Dis. This one uh, is a really bizarre movie. Um, Adrian uh, Corona did it, and it stars Bill Olbers Jr., who should catch everyone's attention. He's a, you know, a pretty prolific indie actor. He's done tons and tons of stuff and has been working for years, and he's probably like the best indie actor in the business. So good, in fact, that he got a role in Three from Hell, the new Rob Zombie movie, and I can't wait to check it out. Not just because of him, but it, it's part because of him. I'm excited to see what he does in a Rob Zombie movie because he belongs in that world and a lot of his acting stuff. But uh, tremendous actor, and he pretty much carries this entire movie. This movie doesn't have much dialogue. It's told between two different timelines, uh, the present and the past, and the past is shot in black and white. It's a really well-made movie, and this movie benefits greatly from its location it's in this isolated kind of looks like parking garage but it's in the been overrun with all these you know woods and weeds and everything like that so it looks like a post-apocalyptic world or an industrial world turn to such it I like where it's set. It's very creepy. We have uh, Bill Oberst, who seems to be a, um, a ex-soldier getting back from, um, you know, war. He's not all there. He seems to be suffering possibly from post-traumatic stress disorder. He starts to wander this isolated parking garage, and he keeps seeing this this person catching him out of the corner of his eye from above. She uh, is just she has her face covered, but her breasts are hanging out, and he starts to follow her um, like it's someone from his past. And it turns out, in a way, it is. And I don't want to spoil too much. So uh, it flashes back. We realize he has. Some some dark things in his past and the opening has a, a line that says um it, it's like a mandora mandora and it, it explains what it is with the definition it says the man who um someone who kills i don't want to spoil exactly and i don't remember exactly what it is but it basically says someone who murders who's killed will become a man a mangora or turned into one and it, it's uh like based off like a mandrake um root and it's kind of like men turning into plants without spoiling too much. And it's a very creative creature monster design that's not done in movies. Um, this movie opens up after that with like a torture scene. And it's pretty graphic. It looks freezing in there. It looks dirty. And that plays into it later as well. So Bill Oberst ends up, you know, in that same situation. You start to see his past and you start to realize what's possibly going to happen to him. Uh, this Bill Oberst has tons of guts. He's not scared to do anything. He's nude in the movie. He's urinating in the movie. Uh, he's screaming in a dirty, crazy place, eating stuff off the floor. Um, you can tell he went through hell for this movie. You can tell this movie is very experimental. It's very crazy and dark and different. It has a unique story to it. And uh, it could be done poorly. If someone else would not take as much tender, loving care in such a, something so crazy and disturbing, uh, it definitely fits in the on Earth kind of category. It's kind of an extreme movie, kind of crazy, bizarre, like I said. Uh, I think that the present stuff, is it works really well. I like how it looks better. I think that Bill Oberst is the, you know, the shining point in the movie, of course. But there's some pretty dark stuff in the past here, too, in the black and white involving his brother. But without spoiling too much, this movie, uh, it gets pretty crazy, and it kind of goes where you think it might go. I mean, it not go where you think it's going to go, but it becomes inevitable what's going to happen to the characters in the movie. But really uh, good, low-budget horror movie that has some really great and creative thoughts and a good performance by Bill Oberst. Uh, on the disc, there is an introduction by the director on here, and there is some small interview segments with Bill Oberst Jr., which are interesting and fun. I wish they were longer. And it's supposed to have a short on here by the director, but I couldn't get it to play. It seems
seemed like maybe something was wrong with the disc or something was wrong with, uh, you know, the release. I'm not sure exactly, but it's called Portrait. I couldn't watch it, unfortunately. And uh, besides that, there's not really many features except some behind the scene outtakes and you can see how they use their camera and whatnot and that's pretty much it, but uh, I would recommend checking it out, especially if you like indie movies or extreme movies or Bill O'Bush Jr. It's pretty good stuff. from the woods, the no-no part of the woods. Some are saying men, women, even children are turning into plants. Fact is, people have gone missing. Hendricks are blooming. Okay, the next one is from VCI Entertainment, and it is by Graydon Clark. Um, it is Black Shampoo. Okay. I had uh, seen a few Graydon Clark movies. Uh, one that's going to get reviewed later. I'd seen a bunch of times before. And uh, I'd seen Satan's Cheerleaders and Without Warning, one of which I like, one of which I don't like. Um, but Black Shampoo. This is a black exploitation movie. Um, and it was kind of made because of Warren Beatty's shampoo, Warren Beatty's shampoo. But... Yeah, okay, this story's ridiculous. We have uh, this hairstylist uh, played by, what is it, John Daniels. He's a big, kind of like handsome African-American actor, and he's probably the best part of this movie. He runs this hairstyle place in uh, California, San Diego, I believe it is. So all these women, rich women, come in. He has two other hairstylists played by um, flamboyant, over-the-top gay guys and a receptionist who he has a good relationship with and kind of a love interest there. Um but his stick is he is uh, all the women come in to get their hair done and to get laid by uh, black shampoo because he is irresistible to women. Every woman throws themselves at him. Uh, they cannot seem to help themselves, which uh, kind of some comedy ensues. There's tons of nudity in here. They've definitely pushed the boundaries here. There's uh, 
at one point he goes to a uh, go home, go to a client's house to do uh, you know some hairstylings and the client's daughters come after him and try to basically molest him and they're stripping down completely nude and you're, I was like wow I'm surprised they're showing all this in 1977 bush hanging out and everything like that um <laughs> it's just ridiculous like I said um the lead actor has quite a bit of charisma and this of course turns into a kind of revenge tale here the receptionist, the love interest, is played by a super beautiful girl. She's got, you know, she's just an amazingly beautiful woman. And she's a pretty good actress, too. Like I said, the two leads are the best. Everybody else is really shaky acting. Really shaky acting. Really shaky dialogue. The dialogue suffers quite a bit in this movie, to be honest. There's just some bad dialogue, especially from the main henchman. I thought he was pretty terrible. But, so, the receptionist used to be dating this kind of criminal and his henchmen come and rough up the place and take her. And she starts to play a little coy with them and to get something done. But she doesn't understand. Um, but Shampoo doesn't understand that. But eventually she comes running to him in a cabin in the woods. The bad guys want to attack him. And that's pretty much the second half of the movie. Um, the movie is kind of repetitive. They go to the shop. They leave the shop. They go to this weird party for no reason where a bunch of weird characters are half naked walking around. I don't know what's going on. The movie crammed as much nudity as it possibly could get into it. And luckily for us, that makes the movie go by a little quicker. But uh, I like the lead performance. Like I said, the guy's got charisma. I like the lead actress. Besides that, uh, there's not particularly that much more to like about it. I don't want to be too negative on it because, you know, it was 1977. And that's it's not necessarily fair to do that to a movie. But a lot of the characters, uh, especially the gay characters, are so... And that's, I know it's not Graydon Clark's intent is to exploit them in a negative light. But it's just like man i mean i'm not it's just so outdated it's just like these guys are such stereotypes and they're very annoying um not too annoying you kind of feel bad for at one point but the main point against the movie is the movie has kind of a goofy tone to it the entire time and something a couple things happen to some of the characters that are so dark and so tonally wrong which is a problem a lot of 70s movies do have although sometimes they're so good you got to forgive them like from last house on the left but this one it has a tonal shift what happens to one of the homosexual characters and i was just like man that is way too dark for this movie and then you never see what happens to any of the characters after that so you're just like there's some chainsaw kills which i appreciated but there's this some it's just something about this movie that the pacing is off and there's it, it doesn't feel like it has much life to it uh there's a scene where they destroy the shop and it felt completely lifeless it's played for laughs or and it's just lifeless like i was like this could be really fun it's just i don't think the actors were up to snuff in this one because i've seen i've seen his other movies and when the actors turn into good performance they're just better and this one i think that it was it was on the shoulders of the two leads and when they're not in the movie it's just not much going for it, to be honest there. Um, wish it had more, you know, action. I had some action at the end. Wish it had more, I guess, better kills, more graphic kills. But Black Shampoo has an interview with John Daniels on there, which was nice to hear. He seems like an intelligent guy, cool guy, really relaxed guy. He talks about his career in music and movies. And it has a commentary by Graydon Clark, who I like, enjoy listening, uh, talk about the movie. And, you know, you understand these are low budget, so you got to give some points for that. And... Uh, he reminds me of a Herschel Gordon Lewis that was more about making the movies because he loved movies, not to make money. And I really appreciate that. So, Meet Mr. Jonathan. Behind the wheel, he's got the feel. This dud is no dud. He's bad. He's mean. 
He's a loving machine. He's the height of fashion, the peak of passion. Sends gangsters crashing and women thrashing. Black shampoo. He's got the touch they love so much. You tell Mr. Jonathan that I left. If he won't do me, nobody will. Does Mr. Jonathan make house calls? Hello, ladies. Are they taking good care of all of you? Artie just didn't have the equipment you have. He gives each pet a washing set. Men can't get him off their backs. Women can't get him out of their hair. Jonathan. Hello, Mr. Jonathan. This is our new receptionist. You like her? Wonderful, wonderful. God, she'll never drown. Well, I told you to watch who you're in it to, too, Nanda. Hand me that thing. Hang him down. I'm gonna give you the thrill of your lifetime. Don't give him no sass or he'll kick your ass. A woman entices. A chainsaw slices. He's mad. He's mean. He's a killing machine. Let him give you a black shampoo. Black shampoo. A Graydon Clark production starring John Daniels and Tanya Boyd. Okay, guys, the next one is from Vinegar Syndrome, and I gotta admit, I love this movie. The Uninvited, or just Uninvited. But, uh, yeah, what can I say about Uninvited? Also directed by Graydon Clark in 1988. First and foremost, I'm gonna say, uh, this is probably cheaper than Black Shampoo, and Graydon Clark, you can tell how much he grew as a filmmaker in that, like, eight, nine-year period. Uh, Uninvited stars Alex Kaur, George Kennedy, and Clue Gulliger. Three actors I really enjoy, three actors I really like. They all play Wall Street baddies. And what happens is, well, two play Wall Street baddies. One's their henchmen. Um, these kids end up getting, uh, they're trying to escape on a yacht, and these kids end up tagging along with them because Alex Cord is trying to get, you know, a front, really, but he wants the girls. So all these kids come with him, uh, college kids, and they're on this big yacht. But what happens is one of the ki kids had picked up this cat that had escaped from an experimental, I'm saying this now and I'm just like, this sounds so ridiculous, experimental lab. And what's wrong with this cat is that it has a small little strange tumor in it that it pukes up that is an evil poisonous cat. So it's a, a normal cat that pukes up an evil poisonous cat that attacks everyone. And if the cat bites you, um, you immediately get sick, you start to swell up, you die. Not as graphic as something like Spasms by William Fruit, but you, you die. So, yes, you can imagine what happens. The cat is fairly nice until you aggravate it or it gets hungry and then it kind of goes ballistic. So they're stranded on this yacht. George Kennedy plays this kind of, uh, he's, he's nervous, he's upset, he's angry because they're um, wanted by the law and there's a chance that they're going to get completely screwed and their whole plan is done. Alex Cord plays this like he doesn't have a care in the world, like he's king shit, top of the world, and his lines are hilarious. The way he delivers them is perfect. He's a perfect Wall Street slime ball. He is just a creepy 80s villain. Not creepy, but just sleazy 80s villain. I love him. He's great. George Kennedy also great because in that situation I'm sitting there, if I was in this situation I'd be exactly the same. I was like, I don't want to be around these punk ass kids. Get me the hell out of here. Shut up. Let's just go. 
uh, Clue Gulliger is really weird in it, and uh, you could tell Clue was like, man, I don't want to play this role unless I can add things to it and just explore and just be really weird and off the wall, and that's what he does. He comes in with these weird teeth, he has this strange hat, and he's just a weird guy all around, and I like that Graydon Clark lets these guys explore and do things like that, but uh, the kids are all fine. Uh, they're not as interesting as the bad guys, but you got three, you know, genre actors, not genre, but classic actors in there who've done a heap of good stuff, and they're always good. I don't care what anybody says, you throw George Kennedy on Demon Warp or Death Ship or on or Uninvited, and he's going to be good. You throw Alex Corden this stuff, Chosen Survivors and Uninvited, he's good. Clue Gulger is always great, Return of Living Dead, From a Whisper to a Scream. They're all, they're all fun. They're all good guys in movies. And that really helps the movie. The dialogue in here is a hundred times better. The idea of a poisonous cat is so ridiculous that it automatically would turn this movie to like a bad movie for a lot of people because it's like a poisonous cat. Come on, man. But on the ship, it, it, there's some special effects involving it that are pretty fun. It's played by a puppet after it's puked up. I love the puppet. He looks gross. He, he's like, you could tell he's a puppet, but I like it because he's just gross and weird and it's kind of cute in a disgusting, repulsive way. Um, the sound effects are ridiculous in the movie, especially a reused car crash from his previous movies. You hear the glass breaking and you're like, why is that glass breaking right there? You learn in the commentary, Greg Clark did it himself. It's the weakest point in the movie. There's the cat meowing constantly. And the cat's not meowing at that time. You don't see his mouth moving. The cat's just like this. You hear these loud meow sounds and stuff. You're just like, what's going on? But uh, there's a character in this movie that is completely gorgeous on the ship. And she starts to lose her grip on reality. And through makeup and acting, she completely changes night and day. It looks like she aged 20 years. And it, it, it's a pretty good performance, if you put it that way, or, or good, great by the makeup people. Because I'm watching her, I'm thinking she's like probably the best looking person in the movie. And then when she goes crazy, they change her look, they change her makeup. She looks pale and everything. And she just looks completely crazy, like she aged 30 years overnight. And I, I kind of like that. There's a, a hilarious scene that's really kind of disgusting and sad at the same time when a character had lost feeling in a part of his arm and he's sitting there making uh, love. And <laughs> I'm spoiling a little bit. The cat is eating his arm and he doesn't know it. And when he pulls it off and he starts screaming and freaking out, the whole scene is just insane and ridiculous. Um, Got to give it points to Alex Cord um, in here, especially because some of the lines, every line he said made me laugh. And one, when the character starts to lose their grip on reality, the way he delivers this line, when she's like, Oh, she's laughing, and he's like, what are you laughing for? You're going to die. And he, the way he delivers it is such like a condescending prick, but also he's getting irritated with it. It's just, I like his performance in the movie. There's some miniatures at the end. i got to appreciate them. They look obviously like miniatures, but I'm not going to hate on that because I like them. And, and low-budget filmmaking, it's the only way you can tackle that kind of stuff sometimes. But very fun B-movie. It's perfect. Austin Stoker's in it, too. Um, I was like, what is that? Is that the guy from Assault on Precinct 13? What's he doing in this? But uh, regardless, uh, there's a commentary with Graydon Clark. Loved hearing that. Uh, this one he pretty much opens up about. Talks about how great it was to work with George Kennedy for a second time. And Alex Cord was great. And Clue Gulger and these guys came with their A-game. And he was very complimentary of everybody that worked on the movie. And he seems like a genuinely great guy that loves movies. And he's a pretty smart guy. And uh, I've heard about podcasts before. I think Screamcast had him on there once. But uh 
he's an interesting guy, and I look forward to checking out more of his filmography, to be honest. I don't always like everything, but I always like uh, his input that he has on the movie, and I appreciate his uh, love for filmmaking. Uh, there's also uh, um, an interview with uh, the DP on here, I believe, and he talks about the movie. He doesn't seem to be super fond of the movie, but he's kind of like, he doesn't, you know, think it's the greatest thing ever, and he says that clue he thinks phoned it in. I don't think so. But uh, I do think that Clue wanted to make the character his own or he was going to phone it in. So, um, yeah, uninvited. I, I, it looks great, too. Who would have thought that this movie looked this great? There was two, two versions on here, too. A longer European cut, which seems to be the longer... And it has a different ending, is one thing. And the ending on that one's funny as well. Both the endings are kind of like, a, you know, a stinger and a little comical. Like, oh, no, here we go again. But... Um, there is a, a scene in um, a restaurant that's a little longer. It's a lot longer. It's completely added. And I think that's the main difference in the scenes. But Uninvited uh, from Vinegar Syndrome. Gotta see it. You gotta. Especially if you love B-movies or little creature movies or animals attack movies. It's a must. Or Kennedy, Clue Gulliger, Alex Gord. They say cats have nine lives. You have only one. A poisonous cat. Now, how's that possible? You're gonna be richer than your wildest dreams! but had never seen it. It is, there is nothing out there. This is also a Vinegar Syndrome release. I didn't get a chance to watch the features, so there's a million of them. There's like four commentaries. There's a million features on this thing. Didn't get a chance to watch it. This is part of their uh, trauma deal, I believe, but um, there is nothing out there. Now, let me say this. This is one of these movies that has a reputation for being, you know, meta and way before Scream and explaining the horror genre and whatnot, yada, yada, yada. Wasn't before on Mass Part 25, though, I'll tell you that. But uh, there is nothing out there. It follows the story of, uh, I think, six or seven kids that go to this cabin. And there is a weird, strange little creature alien that's attacking them and sliming them. And there's a character in the movie that's well aware of the horror tropes. And he knows that something's wrong. And that's pretty much the plot of the movie. He keeps pointing it out. And a lot of things just play into it. There's a couple really funny gags in here where a group of punk, a punk rocker band shows up and they jump in the pool. They start skinny dipping, and which adds nudity. There's some nudity in this movie. And they say, what are you guys doing here? And he's like, oh, we're, uh, you know, the lake uh, by the campsite. We're here for the lake by the campsite. And he's like, this is the house by the cabin. He's like, oh, so this isn't the lake. Oh, sorry, guys. So they leave. And they're obviously like Friday the 13th, like, cannon fodder which is really funny and probably my favorite scene in the entire movie to be honest um some of the jokes land uh this a little creature is great i like him he's cute he's funny besides that the movie feels kind of repetitive and kind of boring um 
the lead guy in here, he, at first, um, you know, he's pointing out the horror tropes and you might be like, oh, that's fun. That's cute. But he just is despicable. And the way he keeps insulting everybody, it just loses, it wears out its welcome pretty fast. Uh, it, it's okay, to be honest. I don't love it. I don't hate it. Um, it, it, and I appreciate, you know, that it was ahead of its time for certain reasons, but just because it was ahead of its time doesn't necessarily make it a great movie is that is, is you know, cause some movies are a product of their time and they're unfairly treated for it. But this movie was ahead of its time and it deserves recognition, but it doesn't automatically make it a, a winner to me. And like I said, um, there's some weird like rates with the camera too, and I guarantee it's not vinegar syndrome. I think it was just the way it was shot back in the day, and and those are probably would have been the cleanest, best looking shots in the whole movie that they go into the trees and they come down on something else. That stuff looked great cinematography, but there's some weird jarring effect to it. I don't understand what's going on with it. Uh, good gag at the end as well, without spoiling too much. It's not a completely laugh out loud funny movie. But it definitely does mix the horror and the jokes um, and, and kind of get the tone right. It never changes tone too much. Its tone is set in its, and it stays the same the whole time. There is some decent uh, gore gags in here where somebody melts, which was kind of cool. But the kills are not particularly great. Um, there's like one great kill, I'll say, involving some glass and there's a decent amount of nudity in here. And there's some silly stuff happening all around. It's just something that doesn't interest me as much as I thought it would. It's it's not particularly as funny as I thought it would be. Maybe because um, the timing might seem a little off to me. Or it's just it's not as... Maybe I just saw this one too late as well. You know what I mean? Because I know all the tropes. And I've seen movies that have done this for so long. That seeing this one for the first time. Maybe I'm giving an unfair assessment. But regardless, I think it's worth checking out. Um, I... Surprised I didn't like it as much with the little creature because he's cute, he's fun, and I love little creature movies. But um, this one just fell a little short for me. Don't don't hate it or anything like that. And it looks pretty good. I mean, it's made ninety one. I'm not sure what it was shot on. I don't know, but it, it's definitely a low budget film for sure. But uh, it might be worth checking out. I mean, it has some interesting ideas, and it's directed by the guy who did Black Room, which came out a couple years ago, which I actually really liked. I was surprised by that one. I thought that one um, had uh, a lot more to offer than I would expect. But um, yeah, this is, there's nothing out there. Let me get this straight. It's a house in the woods with, with four bedrooms, a pond, and nobody else for miles around. Name a horror film. Any horror film. This place is great. Where's the bedrooms? Why don't I take a nice stroll down that dirt path into the woods late tonight all by myself? Ooh, I think I stepped on something. Then afterwards I can go skinny dipping in the pond. I didn't see anything. It was probably nothing. There is something out there. Don't forget, I have rented out every single horror film on videotape. It's driving me crazy. There's no need to worry. What are we talking about here? Those things that pop out of your stomach when you least expect it? Yes, I think you've seen some of these too. There's no need to fear. There's nothing out there. That's where the rest of the chicken was. Yeah, no more than a There's nothing out there. something because now it's in here where's jim jim's in the other room melting right now this can't be happening you don't know anything about that creature except it like everyone else hates a mouthful of shaving cream this can't be so you're alive oh, you're quick nice bikini this stuff only happens in movies so you're saying we're in a movie uh-oh Oh, oh, oh. Oh, oh. Oh, oh. Oh, oh. This 
Disney hasn't missed a trick. Controls minds, eats people, reproduces. This thing's gonna have itself an orgy. It's a fight to the death with a slimy mutation. And that's how I spent my summer vacation. You see the creature? Give him my best. There's nothing out there. Well, this was a fun vacation, Nick. Too bad we have to go home now. From 20-year-old filmmaker Ralph Konecki. Okay, now we're going to hop into a Patreon pick. This one was by Chris Rivers, and this is A Measure of Sin. Um, yeah, I had seen this one before, but it had been a long while. This is an independent movie by Jeff Whiting, I believe, or Wedding, and I reviewed this one, but it had been like at least four or five years. But A Measure of Sin. This is an interesting movie. This is uh, probably one of the weirdest post-apocalyptic movies I've ever seen. It's not like uh, wastelands everywhere. It follows the story of a, a girl who's trying to survive when she's forced to live with two other women and this older man who is obviously having sex with them and, you know, basically making them follow these strict rules and getting them pregnant and, you know, kind of pushing on society in a way or civilization in a way, but also by horrible means. It also cuts back to her childhood and uh, the relationship she had with her mother. And that kind of plays into her psychology. And you realize that she's not particularly all there. In, in this kind of world, you can't blame her. But there's also something else going there with her mother and maybe some mental problems. And that adds for an interesting movie. She seems to be getting raped by a bear every night. But that metaphor is its not even a metaphor. It's just obviously her psychology is so damaged. And you know as an audience who or what's doing it. But this whole movie, she has this relationship flashbacks to her mother, and she's and she's pregnant. So she's going to have to deal with her own kid. And this is this movie kind of building up to this moment, and she realizes that she doesn't want to bring her kid into this world. This is all told in a lot of narration, and there's very little dialogue besides that narration. And she doesn't want to have the, her kid raised like she was raised by this guy, or live with this guy is really the necessity here. And the other two women are or have recently have kids too. So he, she's like, I got to get out of here. And that's the whole movie leading up to that. And it, it paints this whole picture of what's going to happen. And you don't really realize what's going to happen until you get to that point where you're like, if this makes sense, why she did that, this makes sense, you know, as who she is and, and, and that situation and everything like that, having something thrust upon you that you don't want. And it's such a, a dark ending. I don't think I've ever seen an ending particularly this dark, but also for that character, it's so cathartic for that character. And it's just, it's dark. And I don't want to spoil anything, and I don't want to say anything that would give any more of it away. But it's just character that's trying to escape from this world, you know, and she has these psychological problems that kind of tie into her past, or maybe not even psychological, maybe just hallucinatory kind of stuff like that. But it's an interesting movie, and it's got this weird kind of look to it. I believe it was shot at 16. It's got some dark look to it, and it's a, a weird post-apocalyptic world that seems more in line with what it would actually be like, you know, not people driving, like, dirt bikes and stuff like that and having helmets with spikes on them. Not Mad Max, but this one feels like a realistic post-apocalyptic world that I want no part of. But uh, that is a measure of sin. I would recommend checking it out. It's a low-budget movie and just uh, not an easy watch. It's slow and it's just sad and it's just kind of, uh, I don't want to say melancholy, but it's very depressing and uh, weird. <laughs> I dreamt about you last night. I dreamt 
You were smothered by the weight of the great bear. And we found you, frozen on your back. Your clothes missing, your bed full of blood. Okay, the next one is another Patreon pick from uh, Jeremy from the 22 Shots and Boots and Horror, and it's The Ruins from 2008. The unrated version, of course. I had one sitting around here. I didn't remember if I had it or not. I saw this when it came out, and to be honest, I liked it. I did enjoy it. Um, so I revisiting it was kind of a, a pleasant surprise, and it was also a little shocking because in like 2006 to like 2008, 9, 10, you'd see movies that had like gore in them in theaters. Like, and I'm thinking this movie went and played in theaters, like main theaters, like Hostel was in theaters, Saw was in theaters, these were in theater, this was in theaters, Black Christmas remake was in theaters, and you start to see all this gore and this gnarly stuff happening. Although these are you know unrated versions are a little bit more graphic but we have a group of um what is it? i guess they're college kids of course college kids are in this situation we have this kind of xenophobic horror thing going on where there's a group of four college kids they meet this uh, other foreign guy i believe from scandinavia it's one of the sars guards he's in, the sars guards are everywhere now but they decide to go to this um weird archaeological place to call you know the ruins it's just like it looks uh, like a mayan kind of old school thing or maybe it's aztec i'm not sure but they go there and they realize it's completely kind of isolated and there's sound, uh, sand surrounding it. And then they um, are confronted by a tribe almost immediately. And they get pushed to go onto this thing and they're not allowed to leave. And they, there's a language barrier. They don't speak Spanish. They don't speak English. So they can't communicate with them. And that's when they realize that they're trapped on this these ruins, this thing that goes in the, the air, you know, up there's like this kind of mountain temple thing. And there's some weird plant on there and this plant is devastating it's flesh eating it's and that's the plot of the movie it's definitely uh you know isolated movie uh i don't want to say siege movie it kind of feels like that in a way because they're not trying to get in but they're definitely trapped and of course it's going to be people are going to turn on each other here and there but the movie has some really graphic stuff uh where somebody has to have their leg amputated and it's gnarly it looks really gross it, it's pretty pretty extreme stuff the acting i think solid and this movie what it manages to do you have 
pretty much what I'll say, five major characters, and all of them are pretty likable except one for me. There's one character that seems to be, and it's fun, unfortunately the lead character, she seems to just always not do anything volunteering, not, and she's always just upset about everything, and I can understand characters losing their mind and losing their cool, but she's just not a particularly likable character, to be honest, in this, in this and uh, later on she kind of redeems herself, she gets better, but she's the weakest character of the bunch. The deleted scenes on here were actually, uh, there's quite a bit, some of them seem like they add quite a bit of stuff to the movie uh and it, it's uh one of these movies where you know people get annoyed when it's like oh they got the situation they turn on each other but it makes sense that in this kind of situation because they're starving they're angry and they're young uh i think it's like well acted like i said i think that goes a long way it's well shot it's gory and more extreme than one would expect to see in this kind of bigger budget film there's no real complaints, uh, except that I wish more people were actually killed by the plants. They, you know, there's not that many characters to be killed off, so there's people being shot and that, whatnot. But you got to think that most of the people would probably take their chances trying to get off and getting killed by the people surrounding them than actually being eaten alive by plants. But they do manage to kill a couple people. Uh, there's a couple reveals in here when you realize the plants are a lot smarter than they expect, which are kind of cool and unique. And it's funny that uh, one people can be like, "Killer plants? That's stupid." And because they saw that something like that happening, but if they would have watched the ruins, I think that they would realize that killer plants can be used well. And I think this one does it well. I think it's a well-made movie, and I think Jeremy's right about it being underrated. I don't think it gets that much love. I, it's not even that, or hate. It's just not brought up enough. And I think that from 2008, I think if people check out a lot of movies from there, they would enjoy this one. That was a pretty good time when horror was starting to get better, I think. There was a time in horror from like 97? Like, after Scream came out and uh, all those Scream ripoffs, from all the Scream ripoffs to, like, 2003 was really bad. Like, I hate that time frame. And then we started getting some cool stuff again. I mean, there's some there's some good ones in there, don't get me wrong. But there's it's not like now or it's not like the 80s or 70s when you got tons of classics all the time. In that time frame, there's just junk. Lots of junk. But uh, I think that's personal preference as well. I just hate Scream ripoffs. Ugh, my worst part, I hate floating head movies. That's just, ugh, not for me. But The Ruins, regardless, I would recommend checking it out. I think it's pretty cool. So, what do you guys think? Ancient Mayan temple off the beaten path. I want to go. I'm in. This feels weird, Jeff. Why won't they come near us? Wow. It's beautiful. Something's on me. They won't let us leave. Why are they doing this? It has something to do with the ruins. Get on me! It's inside me. I want to cut it. I'm not okay. You keep saying I'm okay. I'm not okay. Why won't you look at me? Okay, guys. The next one is the VHS Voyage, and it is Blood Beach. And this is a German import DVD. It doesn't look particularly great. Maybe it's from a Laserdisc or just a nice VHS. But I know some people want to see the VHS from media films. Yeah. Blood Beach, starring John Saxon, 
Burt Young, and who else pops up in this one? I think it's just John Saxon and Burt Young are the two that stick out to me. Okay, yep. All right, Blood Beach, made in like 1980-81. This movie has a great concept. We have an idea of this creature living under the sand, sucking people under. Because honestly, there's not much more scary than being sucked under the sand, see Tremors. But uh, just not knowing what's grabbing you. This creature living under the sand, eating people, and nobody knows what it is. There's a... Kind of a beach patrol guy who's on the case. Very boring character. Don't care about his love interest. Don't care about his relationships. Yada, yada, yada. That's why the movie's probably so boring because it keeps going back to him. And then we have some cops. Uh, there's two uh, detectives that are the main guys on the case. Uh, African-American guy, I can't think of his name. I think I've seen him before. And Burt Young, who's his partner, who's Roy Cole. And Roy Cole is a crazy person. <laughs> he's kind of an asshole. and he's They're in like uh, California, and he is in love with Chicago. He's like, in Chicago, we wouldn't have this problem. And he's always talking up Chicago about like, you know, and it's just, he's a, he's a blunt, brash guy, and he's funny, and it's Burt Young, so you like him. He's entertaining. Best part of the movie, to be honest. Um, always good. But we also have John Saxon, police captain. He gives a great speech in there when he's talking about, I got all these people on my ass, and he's talking to the detectives, all like in a one I think, and it's, it's, it's good. John Saxon's a professional. Great actor. Always good. Burt Young is, the same, is always great, too. So it's good seeing them. They drive this movie as long as, as, as well as they can, but with that's not all. They're not in it enough. They're not the stars. There's not enough action happening. People getting sucked under the sand is cool. It's entertaining. You're like, oh, that's scary. Um, they even add this exploitation element of a rapist on the beach. And the scene is just like, it's a funny scene. Only because it's so ridiculous, to be honest. It's kind of not funny to laugh at attempted rape in a movie. But it, the, the idea that it, the way it's portrayed is just like, what? Okay, there's this stereotypical, like, rapist guy i don't want to say that this is like just imagine a greasy beach bum rapist and you just get this guy i don't even know he's like wearing a sweatshirt and jeans and he's just like a kind of overweight kind of balding and he's just like ah and he tries to get this girl under the boardwalk rips her shirt her boobs hanging out i was like that's unnecessary but hey, i'm not gonna complain about boobs even though it's unpleasant nudity but still hey um in this movie you'll take anything you can get it's that bad it's not that bad i'm over i'm exaggerating like i said you got burt young john saxon a good concept so he's trying to rape her. I guess his wiener's already out of his pants because what he does is he falls on his stomach and he starts crawling towards her. <laughs> I don't know why he'd do that. But with his with his with his uh, you know, Johnson hanging out, and of course the monster attacks his wiener. Which plays into probably the funniest scene in the movie when um, these kids walk up to one of the cops. I, I don't remember if it's Burt Young, and they throw a hot dog at him and say, We found that guy's wiener, and he's like, Oh, and it's just really, that's probably the best part of the movie. But yeah, it's not great. Like I said, I wish the, the kills were more graphic. I wish they were more elaborate. I wish that there was more of them. I wish that the monster was better. I wish that they showed the monster more. The monster's in the movie for 30 seconds. There's a guy who's kind of crazy, who's a scientist, who's like, we need to preserve the monster. You know, that stereotype. So it's like, we got this guy who's like, science is more important than lives and this stuff. And you're like, we get it. We get it. We've seen it. It's not that big part of the plot, but it's there. Um, kind of an anticlimactic ending but the last couple shots are actually kind of creepy and spooky and you know maybe i'd have more appreciation if i didn't see this on a crummy looking vhs rip or something like that but or vhs in general but i'm not sure if i would i love the concept of a monster living under the beach attacking people on the beach it's such a good idea and it's got one of the best taglines what's the tagline um oh oh just when you thought it was safe to go back in the water 
you can't get to it. And then there's another one too. The five people believed to have drowned here never even made it past the sand. It's got two great taglines. And unfortunately, the movie's just not as good as those. And it's not as good as the cast, those two cast members. But it, it's hard to say, do you check it out or not? Uh, maybe watch the trailer. And um, that's about it. And then see if you want to go from there. But I can't really give this a strong recommendation. It's pretty dull, but it has some decent moments. Pretty, isn't it? The beaches of L.A. Playground of America. Until this beach turned into a living nightmare. You said creature. Why did you use that word? I don't know. What would you call it? Blood Beach, man. Yeah, right on. Blood Beach. The beach is a weird beat for us cops. You've got the kids, the old people, the street fiddlers, those singles, uh, the crazies all lost in their own world. There was every form of human life on this beach. Mattress Bermudas, bleeding mattress. They were kind of old, but you know, they were his favorite pair. They were still in good condition. But under the beach, there was this I don't know, this horrible thing. And we still haven't figured it out. What the hell are we looking for? I don't know. But maybe if we dig deep enough, we'll find out. We police always look for the obvious, but this wasn't normal. Nah, not even for California. Doctors figure that there's been considerable brain damage. How considerable? Vegetable soup. When something like this is chasing you, you hope you find it before it finds you. If it's human, or even if it's animal, got to have a place to go back to. It's kind of sad the way things have changed, huh, Mr. Selden? any hope we didn't have it we didn't know a damn thing it's when you thought it was safe to go back in the water you can't get to it there comes a time when you throw out all the rules and you make your move blood beach it's an okay place to visit but I wouldn't want to die there. I'm not kidding! I'm fine, my feet! Blood Beach. David Huffman, Mariana Hill, John Saxon, and Burke Young as Lieutenant Boyko. Blood Beach. Where the water may be the safest place to be. Okay, the next one is the Pick-A-Movie. And I can't remember who picked this. Was it, uh, was it Christopher Dallier? And he picked, uh... For Your Height Only. This is a Mondo Macabro release. It stars uh, Wang Wang is his name. 
I'm going to be honest with you guys. I don't really particularly like this kind of stuff. Like the Bruce exploitation with the horrible dubbing and that kind of stuff. I don't care for it. It's not really my thing. And I've watched a few now, a bunch of them. And um, I, I like martial arts movies. I, I like good martial arts movies. Like I like Asian films. Like I like John Woo movies. I, I watch Jackie Chan movies. I like that stuff. It's cool stuff. I don't like these really poorly done Bruce Bloitation movies that are cobbled together with really pad dubbing in four or five movies. It's just not for me. Cut, chopped up. And for your height only, I was watching it, and it's a 007 ripoff. And <laughs> I watch these by myself, so it's not as good. These movies are crowd movies, so when I'm sitting here watching it by myself, it, it's not good. But when I'm with like, if I was with a couple friends, which I don't have any anymore, I'm just kidding, we're just so busy, but it's just... It might be fun with friends, but this is, I'm watching this by myself and the first 10 minutes, I'm like, okay, this is cute. This is silly. And we have Wang Wei, who's the world's smallest actor at the time. I think he was only an inch taller than, um, what's the actor's name? Mini me. I can't think of his name. I feel bad calling him mini me. Vern Troyer. So he's only an inch taller than, um, a Vern Troyer. So before then he was the uh, shortest actor to ever star in a movie. He's a 007 ripoff and surprisingly agile and moves pretty quick for a little guy. Some of the stunts are fun. Some of the fightings are cool. The dubbing is atrocious and it's cobbled together. The plot is nonsense. I don't know what's happening, but there's scenes where we're like, yeah, baby, let's go. And you're just like, shoot me, shoot me now. But uh, <laughs> it is kind of funny to a certain extent. There's a scene in this movie where it's the typical 007 or M or Q or somebody like that in those movies is explaining to who would be Bond normally all his new weapons and gadgets. And there's a scene in this movie like that. And he's just leaning on the table like this. And the guy's explaining all the gadgets in poor They look like cheap, like homemade props, like a belt with a, you know, a, a piece of brass taped on it. And it's probably fake brass. And he's like, and he's just sitting there like this, like, no dialogue, no lines. And he's like, oh, you're quiet. I like you. And he's like, it's just like so stupid. And this uh, Wang Wang played in Island of Dr. Moreau. I believe he was in that one. Uh, but it's not good. Is it entertaining? To some extent, it is. It wears out its welcome very quick. It's very hard to follow. I mean, is it hard to follow? Do you care about following it? But these movies seem all the same to me. Um, some of the fight scenes I was impressed with. Um, it's ludicrous. It's ridiculous. It's meant to be watched in a group of people. But if you're going to watch it by yourself, do not watch this. You will not enjoy past 10 minutes. Unless you have some like nostalgia or fondness previously watching it. For me, I do. It's not for me. Not, not my thing, I guess. But uh, check out the trailer. Come in. Good morning, sir. Good morning. Have a seat. Double O, I called you here because of the kidnapping of Von Kohler. You got a bug in your hair? Seriously, though. You know you're our main man. We got a whole bunch of new gadgets to help you on the case. I think you're gonna like them. Needless to say, they cost a, a fortune. Only two people will have this pendant here. You double O, and the pretty broad we infiltrated into the syndicate. Two-way communication. Keep your eye on the light. And this ring here can detect all poisons. It's made out of gold. Platinum was too expensive. 
Our budget is a problem. You understand? It's specially built. It's really a humdinger. They got a silencer and a full clip. It's well known that you're a gun expert. I know it's dopey looking, but it's a weapon. And I mean a lethal weapon. And the main control is in your little ring. Pop the little what's-it, and you release the blade. Your pen looks ordinary, and yet it's specially built. Another weapon. It won't write words, but you can't have everything. I like the way you pay attention. Now, this is very interesting. Inside this buckle is a gang of gimmicks, a mighty handy item. It's got many uses, uh, slice of steel bars. I'd keep it handy. <laughs> A piece of resistance. You know what these are for, Double O, huh? It's a beaut. A real winner. Your gadgets, Double O. Huh? Your man, a few words, I like that. You ready? Okay, we have some questions for you. I'll hop right... Oh, wait, no! No! No questions! No more questions! We gotta do the pick a movie. I almost didn't pick one for you guys. Who's next? Man, there's so many names still in this hat. And then I got the second bag. I'm gonna be doing this for ten years. 80s film fan. You gonna give me something from the 80s? We gonna use that mouth. There you go. So let me know what you want me to check out. Appreciate all the viewers and everybody entering it. But now we're gonna go into the questions. We got William Wolford. Where did you get the last house on Dead End Street mask? I think he's referring to that guy back there. I'm gonna Zardos. Do they call him in the movie? I know Zardos is also. I'm gonna show him you, show it to you guys. But yeah, he's pretty cool. I actually got this guy. He's number 67, I don't remember out of what. But from the last house um, VHS I bought from uh, Totag, I know they were limited. I don't think there's any more around. And I don't know who else got one. I think that uh, Keith Floyd Jr. got one, and maybe Ryan Logston. I'm not sure. But uh, they're pretty rare, to be honest. So Then we got David Sheenhan. Have you seen The House of Jack Built? No, but I am going to see it, and I uh, pre-ordered the UK Blu-ray because uh, it's uncut. I don't know if it's got an uncut release here yet, but I'm waiting for it to be uncut. Such a long movie, I don't want to see it twice right, if I don't like it. You know what I mean? Because I'll have if I watch the original version and I don't like it, I'll have to watch the uncut version later. So, Nick Mua, did you have a nightlight as a kid? No, as a real kid. I think I slept with my light on. Regardless, how would you fight the ghoulies? I, you're screwed, really, right? You got to get some of the book and do an incantation. It's the only way to fight the ghoulies. Because you see, in two, you can't physically stop them. 
Um, do you think any of the infamous U.S. urban legends have a basis in fact, or are they just modern fairy tales? Probably do to a certain extent. I'm sure they do. Um, I mean, like uh, they used to tell the stories to Toby Hooper as a kid about, um, you know, Ed Gein in Wisconsin and stuff like that. He didn't even know it was named Ed Gein. He just knew the stories, and that's why he made Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So history works like that. They get exaggerated and exaggerated and exaggerated. So there's got to be some sort of basis in fact. Uh, old answers. Uh, Tempo Tapas uh, wanted the name. Uh, this is for the old question. Um, the, for the coolest actor. And he said, I have to go to the classic uh, for the coolest actor, Humphrey Bogart. As for the actress, I think Jodie Foster is pretty cool. And now we're going to go into what is your favorite little creature movie? Nick Mua. Classic answer, but the Troy Nixon slash Del Toro, Don't Be Afraid of the Dark. I adore those nasty little trolls, gnomes, fairies, whatever they are. This movie always makes me want to sleep with those lights on. Inspired by creepy stories from Arthur Mac uh, Mackin, no doubt. He was always going on about old gods and critters from beneath the earth. Now, is that are you talking about the remake as Del Toro's thing? But does Troy Nixon do the original? I'm not sure. I've only seen the old one from the 70s, the TV movie. Not, I, I always forget that one's a little creature movie, but that one's pretty cool too. Peter Englund, favorite little creature fit, Gremlins and Critters. Well, I put you in the poll for only one, even though I think you voted. But uh, Paul Weichel, my favorite little creature movie would be The Gate. I think it's one of the only ones that doesn't try to be silly. Not that silly is a bad thing. I have fond memories of watching as a kid and it has always stuck with me. I remember finding the DVD in Walmart budget bin from about 15 years ago. Probably the best $5 I ever bought at Walmart. The creatures look excellent and I am also a sucker for stop motion. The plot is also pretty original. It used to make me wonder what I might find if I dug a hole in my backyard. In my opinion, you just can't go wrong with the gate. I agree, the gate's underrated. I mean, I know it's not underrated because a lot of people like it, but I don't hear, it, it's, it's underrated I think because it doesn't get the love it should. Adam Watson, while you tackled the whole Ghoulies franchise, the first two movies I love. The second one is my favorite horror flicks of all time. It's got that charming 80s vibe and awesome little rubber dudes running around and, and rather brutally offing pretty girls looking for their cats. I love the music and how it's got scary moments and heart with the Phil uh, Fondacaro character. Folks kind of dismiss him a lot because, you know, little person. I personally try not to think that way, but he's great in that movie. Guy was probably the best actor in the movie. Got to watch this segment. Got to watch the segments, but great video, man. Thanks. Uh, Matthew Hudson. Difficult choice. I think Gremlins 1 is a better story, but I enjoy watching 2. And it's a better musical score, in my opinion. In my honest opinion. Peter Englund. My favorite is Gremlins. Saw it even back in the days, 1984, in the movie theater, which was a great experience. But because Critters didn't get many votes yet, I'll go for that one. Oh, I guess you did vote for Critters, so... Jason Michael Willard, Critters for Me. It's always been my favorite movie since I was a kid. I watch it endlessly. Power of the Night. And Jeremy R. Gremlins 2 for the variety of volume of Gremlins, plus tons of cameos from different actors and enough bit scenarios to never get boring. And uh, the poll, I took a poll. What was your favorite little creature movie? We had 10 for Gremlins, which is not surprising. Uh, 2 for Gremlins 2. I bet 5 for Gremlins 2. Critters got 5, so that's a tie. Uh, Ghoulies two got five if i count adam watson's so not on the poll but i added adam watson's to that so that makes five that makes a three-way tie and then number uh critters two got one uh bad milo got one don't be afraid of the dark got one and the gate got one so we had uh um number one was gremlins with 10 votes gremlins two critters five uh critters and ghoulies two all scored five points came in the second uh critters two bad milo don't be afraid of the dark and the gate all tied as well, so we'll come in third place. So I guess we'll ask the next question, and the question of the week for next week will be your favorite actor and director combination. So let me know if it's Robert De Niro, Mark Scorsese, you know, the typical stuff. 
who is your favorite actor and director combination? So uh, let's hop into the update. Okay, guys, let's start with the Blu-rays. Sorry about that. Uh, we got Bloody New Year from uh, Vinegar Syndrome, of course. Uh, this slipcover is awesome. I've never seen this one. It's a, a Norman J. Warren movie, I believe. I had the old DVD. Let's see. Oop, that's pretty cool. I like that. They release great stuff. Can't wait to see that one. Looks cool. Like I said, I had never seen it before. Then what do we got next? We got another. We got Splatter University, which I haven't seen in years. This is a Richard Haynes movie, right? Um, yeah, that looks cool. I love that hand. They got some great slipcovers. I'm not like a slipcover fanatic either. I mean, I won't cry if I don't get it, but eh, some of them are cool enough to own. But yeah, I remember that being a, a kind of decent slasher movie. It's been a long time, though. I had the DVD of that, too. It was an Elite, I think. And then we have Climax of Blue Power. This is a porno. <laughs> I haven't had a chance to watch it. I don't watch as many of the other Vinegar Syndrome adult titles as what I should. An emotional and physical turnout for beginning to end. But, you know, I buy all their Blu-rays because it's such a good company. Then we have one from Scorpion, and this is Rituals. Uh, Deliverance kind of a ripoff, I guess. I've not had a chance to watch this. I uh, actually really like Deliverance, and I like uh, those kind of backwoods movies. I love Hunter's Blood. Adore Hunter's Blood, so can't wait to watch this one. Then we got uh, Lucio Fulci from Scorpion the Psychic. Suddenly she could see into a, the future and saw her own murder. I love that. It's a great line. Jennifer O'Neill, I believe, was Scanners, right? Um, and it's got Mark Porrell as his name from uh, Live Like a Cop, Die Like a Man, and Don't Torture a Duckling, another Fulci classic. So, yeah, look forward to checking that one out. Then we got one from uh, Kino, uh, Puppet Masters with Donald Sutherland. I hadn't seen this in years either. I remember seeing this when it came out, not in theaters or anything, but yeah, the whole is that Keith David in there? That's pretty cool. Wait, it's not Keith David. Yeah, it is. There's no mistake in that. Uh, Yelfam Kodo's in this, too? Man, it looks like it's got a nice little cast. It's been years, though, but obviously the same story kind of inspired. Not inspired, but it's similar to the Body Snatcher story. They came out around the same time, so, yeah. Cool. We got Last Plane Out with uh, Jan Michael Vincent. Not seen this one. But the guys on 80s All Over didn't like it, which means it's probably okay, then. How can he rescue the woman he loves when she's been ordered to kill him? Oh! <gasps> This is a code red. Got a good deal on it. Then we have Exeter. And I hated this, guys, when I saw this. I didn't really finish it. I saw it on uh, Netflix, and I was like, it was really gory and weird, but I didn't, not weird, but typical. Gory and typical is more like it. But um, I wanted to get another shot because a lot of people really enjoyed it, and the special effects were really good. And uh, we were joking when we were watching this, like, who's that poor man Stephen Lang? And then we were like, that is Stephen Lang! What happened to Stephen Lang? And then, like, the next couple movies, he looks fine. But that movie, he looks like he's dying or something. Probably the intent. Then we have uh, Candyman. I haven't seen this in years. The Screen Factor release. Um, has both versions on there, theatrical and unrated cut. But I need to revisit this one. It's been years, like I said. Probably only saw it a couple years after it came out. And these, I don't even know if I can show because of the nudity. But we have uh, The Hornets Singing a Hell It's Cause. This was from Indiegogo. Let me look at the back before I show you guys that. I don't think I can show you any of that. But, uh, yeah, I'm not going to get into details on that. But, yeah, I was in that movie. Small role. I love Dustin, though. He does great work. 
and I donated to the Indiegogo to get, I can't show you any of this cover. Why am I even bothering showing it? The Hornet's Disciple uh, and the Scar She Left. This is an amazing cover. I wish I could show you guys, but I can't. Um, the back doesn't have any nudity, though, but I really like this one. Cool stuff. Cool stuff. Dustin's a great guy. Great director, too. So then the DVD is Show Me Love, uh, a.k.a. Fucking Amel. I reviewed this one. My DVD finally came in. I knew I had to. It's a, a Swedish lesbian love story. Pretty cool movie. But, yeah, I reviewed that one a few, uh, maybe a couple weeks ago. But let's go back to the video. All right. Thank you guys very much for watching. And as always, you guys have a good one. Eee!